so, so things will come up, right? There, there will be risks, there will be challenges, and staying calm, cool, and collected, taking a deep breath, and keeping the intention pure, and working hard. There's no, there's no way around that. You're listening to Producing with Purpose, an ethical business podcast with me, Tony Corrales. We'll be speaking to some of the greatest CEOs, creatives, founders, and entrepreneurs who have established and managed companies that put ethical practices at the forefront of their mission, all whilst navigating the challenges of the business world. Welcome to episode 10 of Producing with Purpose. It's really exciting to bring you this episode as it is a bit of a milestone to get 10 episodes into this show. So before I get stuck into some of the usual things I'll talk about, I just want to say a big thank you to anybody who's been listening. Thank you if you're tuning in today and especially if this isn't your first episode. Also a big thanks to anybody who's a friend of mine and has been listening with the business and with this podcast and everything else. I feel like there's a lot that I ask people to check out and to share and to listen to. So thank you to anybody who's done that and I hope it's bringing you some value as well. Doing 10 episodes of this podcast has been a great achievement and it's been a great experience to date and I'm really excited for the subsequent 40 or so episodes that I'm going to do in what is really a first season of this show and then we'll see what happens. There's a few changes I'd like to make in upcoming episodes. I'll talk a little bit about that probably in some subsequent ones where those changes start to come into play but it's really about the structure of the conversation and the topics that we cover. I actually want to make the conversations more specific to a singular topic So for example, today on the show, I'm speaking to Jeffrey Harris, who is one of the co-founders and co-CEOs of Plant Power. Plant Power is an incredible fast food chain in the US that serves up only vegan plant-based food. And today we actually talk a lot about funding the business. We actually talk as well about some mindfulness and approaches to business that are a little bit more measured and how he's gone through some of the stresses and some of the doubts and how he uses his experience of mindfulness and meditation to get him through that which is a really interesting subject in itself, but we focus pretty heavily on the funding. So they're currently going through a Series A round of funding, and I think this is a really interesting thing for people to listen to, especially in the context of an ethical business getting to such an important stage of growth. So it's those kind of topics I'll be focusing and drilling down a little bit more on, be it funding for a business, or maybe it's how to market the business, maybe it's about getting through that first to six to 12 months, or maybe it's about how you use online versus offline channels. We'll just make the topics a little bit more specific so that somebody can pick and choose what kind of information they want to get from the episodes. So before I dive into my conversation with Jeffrey, just a quick little update on what's happening with No Skin, as it's actually been a pretty big couple of weeks, and that's partly why, as I mentioned in the last episode, that we've been releasing things a little bit slower and I've actually got a bit of a backlog of episodes to release. So we have had our first full shipment of stock. That doesn't mean we've got all the products, but we've got at least a couple of them now fully stocked in our warehouse. With that, we've moved into a warehouse as well, which is pretty exciting. And it was a pretty big moment when I saw a huge delivery of shoes coming off the back of a truck and into our warehouse. It really was, as Jeffrey calls it in this episode today, a shit's getting real moment. Um, there was there were moments of doubt, there were moments of excitement, there were moments of fear, um, but all in all, it was also a massive moment of achievement. So I'm really proud to have got to that point where I'm now looking at the first parts of No Skin Stock. And we also did a photo shoot as well. So if you head over to www.noskin.co, you'll be able to see some of the output of that photo shoot. We had some amazing models. So shout out to Brooke and Eric who came along for the day and did an amazing job and all of the crew who helped us on that. 
So again, please do go over and follow at noskin.co or visit the site. We are getting product up and running now and really appreciate your support. But as I mentioned, today on the show, I'm speaking with Jeffrey Harris, one of the co-CEOs and co-founders of Plant Power. I think I say before every chat, this is exactly what I needed at this time. And I think maybe part of that is just me extracting the information that seems relevant to me at that time. But Jeffrey actually put my mind quite a bit at ease when I was possibly feeling some doubt or a little bit overwhelmed. And his approach to running business and to the scale and to the size of the vision that he's got was just reassuring, inspiring, engaging, and just a just a really interesting conversation to have with someone. And I think everyone listening to this will just enjoy hearing about his journey. So make sure you go and follow Plant Power. If you are on the west coast of the US, specifically in California, then go check out a restaurant, especially in these crazy times. You know, everybody like that still needs the support. So please go and check them out and do your bit for them as well. And I really hope you enjoy the show. So today I'm producing with purpose. This is episode 10. It's a milestone episode and I'm absolutely thrilled to have on this milestone episode Jeffrey Harris, one of the co-founders and co-CEOs of Plant Power. Welcome to the show. Tony, thank you. It's great to be with you today, my friend. Excellent. So I do, you know, we've just talked a little bit about, well, I've just introed a little bit about um, what Plant Power does, but let, let's just hear it from you. Let's get the, the brief overview of what Plant Power does and how things are going at the moment. So plant power fast food is basically a vegan or plant-based version of traditional fast food. It's very much like McDonald's, Burger King, Carl's Jr., Jack in the Box. Um, our menu ranges from burgers, fries, and shakes to chicken tenders, hmm. all the way to healthier grilled chicken wraps, uh, uh, chicken with, uh, again, with air quotes, um, <laughs> healthy avocado quinoa salads, fresh juices, and, uh, and raw items. So we're really excited basically to offer the world a cruelty-free sustainable and healthier version of traditional fast food that's absolutely awesome and i'm i'm itching to get out there and uh, visit some friends and also get out to the restaurants that's something i'm very excited to do i've, I've got to say I'll, I'll be going straight for the uh going straight for the wings i think that's a personal personal <laughs> right on, favorite good. they're good um, man they're scary good they really are <laughs> Um, so one, I think the thing I want to open with today is actually a little bit of your journey. So I, I guess we'll take a second now actually to give a shout out to your co-founders as well, who are also co-CEOs, Mitch and Zach. Um, and it, you were telling me the story before, and I've heard the story on some other podcasts as well, but I think for the value of our listeners, let's just tell a little bit about the story of how you met those guys. It's a great story because there are some important lessons I think for all of us when we have a vision. And for me, uh, I had accidentally um, created a good career for myself in the professional <laughs> audio world, selling professional sound equipment, recording equipment, things like that. Um, you know, did surprisingly well for an old hippie and had a good life. Um, but I was simply asking myself, if I could do anything, what would I really, really want to do? And, you know, I had been a, a vegetarian since 1974. That's going to age myself <laughs> and a vegan for at, la- at least the last 20 years. Yeah. I've been concerned about uh, animal welfare, the impact of animal agriculture on the planet. And I just had this kind of crazy idea, which I kind of just roughly called the vegan version of McDonald's, at least until yeah. McDonald's sues me. But for now, I'll just say <laughs> the vegan version. And, and, and this idea wouldn't go away. And look, man, I'm, I'm having a nice life. I've got a girlfriend. I'm playing music on the weekends. And, you know, that seems like a pretty steep hill to climb, the vegan version of McDonald's. Oh, yeah. um, but the vision wouldn't leave me. 
It just wouldn't go away. And the first thing I identified for myself is that even though I've worked in uh, what was then vegetarian restaurants, they're all kind of vegan now, but yeah. I've, been a, I've been a you know dishwasher, a busboy, a host, and a waiter. But in terms of how to really do this, how to sign a lease and manage a staff and develop a menu, I really, I really didn't have that skill set. And so I kind of went on this journey hoping somehow magically I would find somebody that had the same crazy vision that I had, but had the puzzle piece operationally that yeah. I was missing. And uh, I hired consultants and I Googled and on and on it went for years. And finally, uh, one day, uh, an ex-girlfriend called me, Susan Ragsdale, in case she's watching this podcast at some point. <laughs> and she said, she said, I found your guy. Um, his name is Mitch Wallace of Evolution Fast Food in San Diego. And apparently, uh, Susan's good friend, Joe Ellie, was friends with Mitch. And Mitch had had the same vision forever as well. I called him up on the phone, fell in love with the guy right away. And then I drove out there as part of my regular job, dragged my sales rep with me <laughs> yeah. and said, we're having lunch at this place. And again, uh, when I met Mitch, I was just you know, deeply moved and, and touched by who he is and his vision. Um, I worked with a partner that he had for a little while and where the synergy kind of lacked. But mm -hmm. several months later, that partner had left. And then Mitch said, hey, um, let's, let's work with Zach. And I said, who's Zach? And Zach at the time, I think, was probably a 24 or 25-year-old vegan kid that worked at his restaurant. I can't call him yeah. a kid anymore. <laughs> um, he's my co-founder, co-CEO, and a great COO. But he was just, he, was, he really breathed a lot of great operational life into Mitch's restaurant evolution. Um, mm -hmm. The three of us realized that separately, before we had ever met, we had all had that same vision. All yeah. being ethical-based vegans, we'd all thought, why isn't somebody doing vegan fast food? And um, we started to plot our diabolical overthrow of the traditional fast food industry in the back of Mitch's Evolution Fast Food Restaurant yeah. in San Diego, um, probably around 2014. And then we, uh, we launched our first unit in the Ocean Beach area of San Diego in uh, January of 2016. That's amazing, Matt. It's a, it's a great story. And it's also so nice because, you know, the way that you, you know, you make an effort here as well, of course, to shout out your co-founders, co-CEOs, which is hugely important. You know, it's often that one guy tends to do the podcasts and the press, but everybody's there <laughs> grinding and making this happen. And it sounds the way you talk about it, yeah. that you've just found great people to work with and added to your life in that way as well. That's absolutely key. You know, I love my partners. Uh, they're brilliant. Um, operationally, they're, you know, worlds ahead of where I am. I'm, I have my lane that I'm good at. Yeah. Um, but as we've grown also, it's, it's not only those guys, but, you know, the people that started with us at the beginning who are still with us today, um, you know, that has changed everything. So it's the team that we've been building that shares our vision or that is aligned in some way with our mission that has kind of driven this machine forward. So we've really gone from, you know, three guys building restaurants to three guys who have built a team and a company that's building restaurants. And that was really yeah. a critical step if we're ever going to realize our vision of the vegan McDonald's of the world. Absolutely. Uh, it's such a great mindset, and that's something I'll tap into in a minute for sure. Um, but one thing I really wanted to grab onto as well is, I, and I think it's absolutely true, you know, you say that they've all had the same idea, being ethical vegans, you know, they want the vegan McDonald's, because you're really solving that problem in the market that you experience yourself. Yeah. Um, and I think many of us have had, you know, a similar thought and would love to do something similar. Um, but of course, it's down to the ones who actually get off their ass and make it happen. So that's, you know, that's what it really comes down to. Um, 
But I know as well, you actually had a lot of people, especially, you know, maybe six, eight years ago, before this was so prevalent in the market, people told you this was not a good idea, you know, starting something that was like a a vegan rival to McDonald's, you know, you're, you're crazy, what kind of idea is that? But what I'd like to know is, why did you look past everyone telling you it wasn't a good idea? And how did you actually sidestep that negativity and just keep pushing forward? Tony, that's a brilliant question, man. I really appreciate it. Um, Part of it was I had been watching the trend unfold over many years. Like, you know, having become a vegetarian in 1974, there were no, I didn't even know that such a thing as a vegetarian or vegan restaurant existed in the universe. Yeah. You know, I thought I was the first vegetarian. Um, (laughs) No one mentioned that there were hundreds of millions of them in India and other places in the world. Uh, And the kinds of like vegetarian food we had back then, if you looked at the ingredients list, it was terrifying. You know, oh, they yeah. were, it was not very natural. But I just kept seeing that trend change. I saw vegetarian and vegan restaurants open up more and more. Um, I saw, you know, Whole Foods kind of take shape mm-hmm. and explode. And I had no doubt that the trend was there. Um, and what I saw was that our customers would be made up by vegans and vegetarians at maybe 15 or 20%. But yeah. there was this larger, massive megatrend of people interested in less processed, GMO-free, organic, plant-based, and, and those were my target customers. So to your point, I remember many times telling people what my crazy dream is. Yeah. You know, dude, it's like McDonald's, but it's vegan. And, you know, I'd say 75% of people said, dude, <laughs> no, that one's going to eat your dumb veggie burger. Um, but some people went, you know, they did. And then other people went, oh, my God, I've been thinking about that. Mm-hmm. And even the non, what I'll call veg heads, encompassing yeah. the vegetarians and vegans, even the non-veg heads would say, yes, why isn't somebody doing this? So I got both. And ultimately, this, the one thing I've learned in my own life is that, man, nothing's easy, right? Mm-hmm. It's not easy to be poor. It's not easy to work hard. But if you have dedication and passion and just keep asking yourself, what is the next step? I've never had any doubt that it was possible. Now, in my case, I knew I needed to get a good team because yeah. I think I, I really lacked some of the core skill sets. I don't know what it was. There was something in my heart that just felt, uh, you gotta be fearless. And, and by the way, not that there haven't been moments, days, weeks, or months of doubt, anxiety. <laughs> Even while we were building our first restaurant, you know, it's like, oh my God, we're actually building this thing. It's going to happen. And then, uh, and then the day that the doors are going to open for the first time, I'm still wondering, is this going to work? <laughs> and so I, I think it's the, you know, I, I practice meditation in my life. And so mm-hmm. one of the things that each one of us needs to kind of get is that our minds kick up dust, um, doubt, mm-hmm. anxiety, fear, um, paranoia, um, all sorts of ego and greed and crazy ass fantasies. Can I say yeah. ass on a pad- podcast? I you can, I, you I can on so. this one. <laughs> and, and, yeah. So we're always uh, managing our own mental framework and our own mind. And whatever we're doing in life, whether or not we have a vision to build a business and realize our dreams, or whether or not we're animal rights activists that want to change the world, or whether or not we're trying to save the orphans or the seals or the rainforest, or just get a job so we can put a roof over our head, um, understanding that the mind will throw up doubts, yeah. and then understanding that you, you will, hi doubt, nice to see you, move along here, I got things to do, and then get back to action, taking actions. Uh, that's so 
That's so reassuring to hear. And funnily enough, you know, the question I can see here on my screen next up was, uh, how was your mindset in the early days? You know, did you pivot between uh, doubt and confidence? Because we are, you know, we currently at the moment have, I don't know, 600 pairs of shoes on a on a boat that are going to arrive on my doorstep in the next week. And I'm just going through the exact same cycle. I'm so excited. We're moving into a warehouse, you know, there's amazing stuff happening. And then there's the sudden, you know, my mind is kicking up the dust of, am I going to oh, yeah. sell anything? Like, you know, how is yeah. this going to go? Well, this is, Tony, this is what, we're, what we call the shit's getting real now moment, right? Yeah. Yeah, Where it's like, it's really, ha- you know, it's really happening. By the way, congratulations. I Thank mean, you I'm very so much. excited for you. I'd say uh, for me, I've learned how to turn to uh, what I would call spirit or love or the quantum field. Um, or God, or whatever people want to call that, the Buddha mind, you know, there's yeah. a thousand things to call that. But for me, um, uh, expanding beyond my normal limitations, like yeah. I, I can't do this, actually. One person can't do what, what we have done with plant power. Yeah. And so even before I found my partners, I found myself uh, finding moments and becoming still and kind of asking the universe for a little help. Hey, universe, if you don't mind helping me out a little bit, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah. And kind of having some faith and trust and that doesn't mean you don't take actions and you don't make the next phone call and you don't take care of business. But I think that uh, understanding that you're part of something bigger and that when you're in the mindset of faith, trust, confidence, hope, love, kind of the positive vibes, Mm. things open up right in front of you, doors open. And when you're in the mode of fear, um, limitation, anxiety, doors close. And it's just magical. And so the, it's really more than anything else, in addition to the actions that you have to take, it's watching your mind, actually. I think it's so important. And it's, you know, it's important to take that, that step in, be it first thing in the morning or last thing at night, or whenever it suits you to take that time and um, you know, get a little bit of mindfulness. I know me and a co-founder, both of us you know, separately, individually, walk every morning, get some clarity, get some thought process. And it, it sets you up for the it sets you up for the day. That's it. You have to have your mind in the right place to then send the emails, make the phone calls and just, you know, put yourself in the right situation. I completely, completely agree. I call it going to the mountaintop and we may not have time in our lives to go to an actual mountaintop. Mm. Um, but it could be for me sitting on my back porch, watching the lemon tree and the birds and the squirrels and drinking that first cup of coffee before the sun comes up. Um, and as I've journeyed towards this thing before we opened, I have done a couple of retreats by myself for four yeah. or five days where I'm just journaling out what I would like to have manifest. So there's mm. all aspects of that. Yeah, it's That's really interesting. I think it's really good as well to hear that. Um, and, you know, for listeners to hear that as well from somebody who's having excellent success. And again, congratulations back to you because plant power is an absolute, you, you know, you. It's, it's amazing to see someone Thank doing you. that and doing it so well. Um, and there is the real you know, there's a real culture at the moment of the entrepreneurial drive where it's, you know, head down, grinding till the early hours of every morning. And of course, there are those hard days, but it's just as valuable to remember that the people who are making these big impacts are also taking that time to sit and watch the lemon tree and just process the thoughts. It's actually the moments of clarity and quiet where you can have some of those best ideas. Beautifully said, man. Thank you. So one thing I'd like to know about a little bit is, um, in the early days, and you know, this is actually something I talked to someone on a previous episode about, were there, were there many pivots in the idea? Or is what has happened now 
kind of what you had for that vision when you first started talking to Mitch or have you have you made some big changes in the way that you're going about it? Actually, right now, I think we're really closely aligned with our original vision. Cool. Um, but I will say along the way, um, uh, you know, there's three partners. Um, my two partners are inspired, kind, brilliant, um, amazing. So along the way, things have come up, right? Mm. Um, you know, we've asked ourselves questions like, well, what about selling beer and wine yeah. for a fast food restaurant, right? And, and uh, you know, as an example, uh, we realized, we determined, okay, that's not really part of our vision, but we looked at that. So I think along the way, various things have come up. We've looked at that. We've looked at these opportunities. We've asked ourselves, does this kind of fit with our mission statement, um, who we are? Or we've asked ourselves questions like, are all three founders aligned with a slight pivot or not? And if we weren't all not all aligned and it was an important pivot, then we, then we would not do it. But I would say where we are today, um, the look and the feel of the restaurant is very much like we envisioned it with one yeah. uh, caveat. And that is, uh, you know, what I kind of saw Plant Power being even before that name happened. You know, I had a specific vision in my mind about the look and the feel of that restaurant. Mm. And my younger, cooler, hipper, tattooed millennial partner, Zach, He's really better at that than I am. Like he's yeah. just got this great branding vibe and his branding team is our creative director and our graphics people. They really came up with something that as an old white guy, I might not have come up with. <laughs> um, kind of a retro, cool 70s vibe. Looking back in a kind of iconic way, yeah. also looking forward with the future of fast food. So um, I think that Plant Power today is better than it would have been if I had a billion bucks and could hire everybody to do it, because I think that the creative uh, inspiration and the input from my partners in many ways is, is much more than I would have been able to accomplish on my own. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's the branding that you've got and that 70s iconic throwback as well. I, you know, I've been loving it. And, you know, even here, I want to I want to get my Diner mug of the Plant Power 70s style one. It's the branding that you've executed there. And I was actually going to ask about that because it is so good. It's standout. To me, it is actually the best in the market. Um, and I was Thank going to say, you. is that from an agency or has that come from internally? It sounds like Zach has had a lot to yeah, do with man. that. Um, that's uh, my partner, Zach Voga, yeah. um, our, our creative director, Jordan Voga, um, who's brilliant. He's yeah. really uh, beginning to really blow up in the marketing space. And then uh, extraordinary graphics and design assist with Chase Nuttall. Mm. Um, so it's really in-house. And, yeah, uh, and you know, I get a, yeah, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn these days. And I was, I, was, uh, I was undercover on LinkedIn and Facebook for years because I was holding down my corporate job for a while. I was yeah. doing the side hustle and doing like 50 hours for each gig and going crazy. And now that I'm on LinkedIn out as one of the <laughs> co-founders of Plant Power, I get hit up by amazing marketing people every day yeah. We can solve your marketing problems. What are you doing for marketing and branding? And our in-house team is just next level. And I think of it this way. Like my partner, Zach, who's not only a co-CEO, but just a world-class COO and operator now. Hmm. You know, who knew that he had this kind of branding vibe going on? If he hadn't had the chance, we would have never seen it. And so um, it's really Zach and his team are responsible for that for that branding vibe. And it's, it, it really is remarkable. Thanks for commenting on it. No, it's, it is. It's excellent. I really genuinely love that. Uh, and it's great as well. It's great to lean on the either the expertise of the people in your team or the potential of people in your team. And that's what has happened there, which is great. 
The Climactic Collective, the podcast network by and for Australia's climate community, is launching a new group. Podcasters declare a climate and biodiversity emergency. It's great to see architects and city planners setting up industry-specific climate action groups. What these groups actually do varies a lot between them, but they're all united by the shared belief and understanding We have to declare we're in an emergency footing, and business as usual within our industries isn't good enough anymore. We can't just go to work and then do activism on the side or care about climate on the weekends. We have to make it part of everything because it's already affecting everything. And with your help, we can raise the volume for climate-engaged podcasts. Just get along to podcastersdeclare.com to find out more. The Climactic Collective. I know at the moment you've been actually wrapping up your Series A funding, um, which is, and hopefully that's all been a success, uh, you know, to this point. I'm not sure how much you can say, but hopefully that's all been going well. Yeah, well, uh, uh, it's not wrapped up until the last check clears. Yeah. That's something I learned from my partner, Mitch. I'm like, guys, we got a huge investment. And Mitch (laughs) is like, wait till you get the check. Wait till the check clears. We're not quite there. So, um... Uh, the truth is, and this is helpful for anyone out there who is an entrepreneur mm. and doing a, you know, a Series A capital equity raise, it was challenging at first. Yeah. And the, it was challenging a year and a half or two years ago, and we've been doing it for a while, because we were painting this picture that was pretty big. And people were saying, I don't know, you know, you've got two restaurants and the third coming, and we're not so sure about that. And then what has happened just in the last year and a half is that our, our growth has skyrocketed. You know, we yeah. finished 2020 with seven restaurants and a food truck, eight or maybe nine new restaurants in development, um, franchise commitments of many, many more. So what has happened for us is we were telling an inspired story that we believed in early on, but I think some of the investors were like, we're not so sure about you guys. Mm. And then over time, as we opened new restaurants, as we demonstrated our ability to operate those restaurants profitably, as investors got checks, you know, yeah, I think the story the story changed. And so, just in the last three or four months, we've seen a very rapid acceleration towards the close of our Series A raise. And I can't say a lot right now because it looks like it might close up quick. Yeah. But I don't want to discourage your listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, but the important the important thing is that it was a it was a hard sell at first um, to pitch our vision, and as mm-hmm. we begin to execute on that vision and demonstrate, it became easier and easier. And now uh, we're in a better spot than we've ever been. That's amazing. That, um, that's the non disclosure agreement version. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Uh, but it's to be honest as well. I mean, it's it's a bit of a goal, or yeah, I suppose a a goal of mine at some point um, to go through a similar process to go and do a to go and do yeah. a series a funding round or something like that that's an exciting experience yes. to go and do as well for something that you've created it's it's really amazing because one of the things you have to do tony is talk about your vision and your execution and i, I actually have been doing that two or three times a day for a long time now and <laughs> yeah. it's actually a joy and yeah. i'll have potential investors that'll say oh my god thank you man you took an hour of your time to talk to well, me. I'm like, yeah. this is the most fun part of my day, um, to share the vision. And uh, so I wish you well with that. And if I can help you when you get to that, I'm really happy to. Oh, beautiful. Appreciate it. Thank you. I mean it. 
Excellent. That's so no, it's so nice. And it's again, I always express on this podcast, it's it's one of the benefits about just reaching out and speaking to people and especially in ethical business or, you know, anybody who produces with purposes, the the community is so strong and people are genuinely willing to willing to help. And it's oh, yeah. it's been a, the most amazing part of the experience of running this podcast. Um so taking a little bit of a step back, so you know, series A is extremely exciting and, you know, a a crazy world especially for what you're going through at the moment um but what about that initial funding how was that getting off the ground was that family and friends was it self-funded to an extent you know what what was the initial how did you get that first restaurant open great question great question um one of my earlier consultants called it the three f's friends families and fools is what he used to call it which i thought was hilarious <laughs> yeah so uh, when we opened our first two restaurants, we hadn't formed an overarching parent company per se, mm. right? I mean, we couldn't even think that way. We just wanted to get a restaurant open, get it profitable. Yeah. So um, just using our first two restaurants as an example, Plant Power Ocean Beach and then Plant Power Encinitas. So Plant Power Ocean Beach is in San Diego, for those mm. who are far away. And yeah. Plant Power Encinitas is maybe 35 miles north of San Diego. And basically what we did is that we... Uh, we put together our version, our early version of a pitch deck, which mm-hmm. doesn't look near as good as it did now. <laughs> yeah. Like me on word, me on word, trying to figure out how do you move the pictures around, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, our pro formas. And if you haven't opened a restaurant yet, then your projections of sales and profits are just kind of wild ass guesses you hope happens. Yeah. And we really kind of put that together and painted a vision. And we went out. And I think one of the reasons that we had success at our first restaurant is that a lot of people in San Diego had a really great experience with my partner, Mitch Wallace. Mm. So Mitch gave us a tremendous amount of credibility. Um, He had opened up some very well-known, iconic San Diego restaurant brands, Nature's Express, and my favorite restaurant name in the world, Kung Food, which I think is cool. (laughs) But I don't think that you can get away with it now for some reason. Uh, And of course, Evolution. (laughs) Yeah. So Mitch really had, uh, he started with some uh, friends and investors that he knew that had faith in him. And that formed a bit of a foundation for us that was very helpful. We threw in what little money we had. Mm-hmm. And we were, we were not wealthy guys, nor are we now, contrary to popular belief. Yeah. We, threw, we, we pulled together what we could pull together. And somehow, magically, we were able to get enough people in to open that first restaurant. And it was a simple LLC structure. Yeah. And, you know, we figured out how, okay, if they're putting in this much, we're going to expedite um, the profit distributions to the investor group at this higher level until mm. they get to this much return. So we put together a plan that looked like it would work and that took into consideration the fact that this could be considered high risk. Yeah. So even though in our hearts we knew that this is the future of the world, future of the world, <laughs> um, the truth is, you know, I, every investor I spoke to, I said, okay, you should speak to an accountant an attorney, an advisor before you invest. And by the way, we'll probably lose your money, you know? (laughs) And by the way, sign this piece of paper that said, Jeff said they'll probably lose our money. Um, So we were very careful. Um, Sometimes we asked people to give us less if we didn't feel that they should give us all that they had. And then then the answer is, and by the way, at the end, we were coming up short and Mitch and I are writing checks to just get it open. Yeah. and then miraculously, it was profitable. Investors were getting uh, in, uh, investment returns by our second quarter of operation, which was unheard of at that time. Um, and then when we opened our second restaurant, 
there was already that group from the first one that said, oh, okay, this is working. They're yeah. sending me these nice investor reports every quarter, and I'm getting checks. I'll go into the second one. So, and then, hey, by the way, can I introduce you to a friend or a family that wants to come in? I'm thinking, let me think about it. Yes. So what we were able to do is kind of build a rapport with what we actually refer to as our investor family. And this is actually really important hmm. because I've got some, one investor in my group told me about a restaurant she invested in, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago. Never got a report, never got a check. Wow. And when they sold her that, that business, she got nothing. They weren't cultivating an ethical, I'll use my term, dharmic, that's a term from India, yeah. ethical and dharmic relationship with their investor family. And that's what we're trying to do. We consider them to be our family. We know that we wouldn't be where, they, where we are without our investors mm. and our team. And those two sides work together. So we work hard to give them reports every quarter and to send them uh, in, the, in these individual restaurant units, um, investor returns. And that's created a lot of confidence in people. And even when we have to deliver bad news, which happens sometimes, yeah. they're happy that we're transparent. And, and then out of that base of people investing in individual restaurants, as we are pivoting and forming this parent company, uh, some of those people uh, are, are successful and financially abundant. And then they, they jumped in to help us fund um, our Series A yeah. in, the, in the parent company, which is the Plant Power Restaurant Group. And I'll say, man, raising money is uh, anxiety producing. And if you're, <laughs> if you're doing it the way we did it, which is... Sign the lease first and then raise the money. Oh, uh, yeah. That's a bad <laughs> recipe for peace of mind. Yeah, not yeah. good. That's it. Now, that'll light a fire underneath you for sure. <laughs> but, it does, man. But, I mean, that's such a, again, that's such a refreshing way to hear people talk about their investor relationships and the process they've gone through. There's an abundance of transparency. There's really solid foundations there. And, you know, you have prioritized in those early days when, you know, things are things are also going well and there's the balance of how you grow and how you pay yourselves and how you return to your investors. You've prioritized your investors where maybe others wouldn't and you've just set yourself up for yeah. each step to have success. So it sounds, and, and even the way you talk about it and saying, you know, we don't feel that this person should necessarily invest the full amount. You can take that. That sounds like a very honest sales background as well that's come through. Yeah. Um, and just, yeah, yeah, understanding that the relationship building is what's going to carry you through. And, you know, I will say, and, and, and Tony, you'll find this one day when you do your own Series A, right, or Seed Round or whatever you've done, it's a, it's a huge responsibility. Yeah. So, um, you know, I tell people, look, we're all, we are all taking the risk together with an equity investment. This could possibly fail, right? Yeah. And um, it's an awesome responsibility to know that people are trusting you hmm. and you have to perform. And... We also all do our best and we can't control everything that happens in the universe. You know, the, co course, the COVID yeah. pandemic is a great example. I would always think, okay, what's going to take us out, right? Is <laughs> it going to be a tsunami in San Diego? Yeah. Um, locusts? Um, a a right-wing revolution? That would never happen. Oh, oh, wait, that almost happened. Was that out loud? Um, but, you know, yeah. we, certainly, we certainly didn't see the, the pandemic coming. You know, oh, mm. well, we did not expect that, strangely. If I were watching more cool pandemic Hollywood movies, maybe I would have thought about it more. <laughs> so, so things will come up, right? There, there will be risks, there will be challenges, and staying calm, cool, and collected, taking a deep breath, mm -hmm. um, and, and keeping the intention pure and working hard. There's no, there's no way around that. That's it. That's the one thing that you can't overlook is just keep on working hard.
Um, yeah. Just just out of interest, how many of your investors would you say are are vegan or have that kind of affiliation versus how many look at it and just see that you've got a you're solving a problem in the market? That's a beautiful question. I, I used to call it uh, when people ask me who's my investor targets. I used to say VWM. I'd say what's that? <laughs> vegans with money. I'm looking for vegans that's, with money. So it's it's yeah. really a mix, you know, like. Um, it's really a mix. So we, we certainly have investors that are plant-based and vegan and they want to save the animals and they're aligned with us and they, they want to be part of this. And we love that. And as you might guess, a lot of people who are plant-based and vegan, um, well, actually they could, they could afford to invest in our little restaurants, but now that we're moving to a higher level, the minimums are higher. Yeah. We're taking accredited investors now, but it's really a mix. Um, it's really a mix. I think that for almost everyone so far, there's some mission alignment. Yeah. So even those investors who aren't 100% plant-based, they like love what we represent in terms of maybe the environmental ideal and the sustainability ideal and the health, healthier ideal. And so I think that so far, everyone that's invested with us has been inspired by that. And now as we're finally um, attracting the attention of the elusive uh, VCs and private equity yeah. and all that, all those guys that wouldn't talk to us years ago. I think that what's shifting is their job is to ride on this plant-based mega trend and figure out where to invest and make some money. Yeah. But when we talk to these people and when we're in a meeting with them, I always start with just to let you know, this is why we're doing what we're doing. You might as well know, you know, we're three crazy ethical vegans. Yeah. And this is what we're motivated by. And what I find, even in the, you know, kind of more hard-ass business types, they're all going, well, you know, that's interesting. My daughter's a vegan. Yeah. <laughs> or my wife just went plant-based. Or one of my best friends has just gone mostly plant-based. So I'm seeing um, the arising of consciousness in human beings yeah. across the spectrum. And, it, and it's shifting. And I do, I do believe that even people that, you know, Obviously, everyone needs to make money on their investment, but I think people do like investing in something that feels in alignment. I think so, yeah. You know, more and more. I think so. And there's so many, you know, there's there's so much money in so many unethical investments that given the, you know, you're coming to people's doorsteps, be they VCs or people who, or if they are the vegans with money, whichever camp they fall into, you're actually giving people a fantastic offering. It's like, here's something that does look like a strong, lucrative investment. And you can feel good knowing that it's actually promoting animal welfare. It's promoting sustainability and environmental ethics as well. So you're, you're actually giving people what so many are looking for as well. Thank um, you. I want to mention uh, one, one of our investors is uh, VWM. But when I say <laughs> vegan with money a lot of money, an extraordinarily wealthy gentleman who is dedicated to saving the world for people and animals. Yeah. And, um, you know, if we, if we take his money and quadruple it, he doesn't care. It's not going to change his lifestyle. It yeah. just doesn't matter, right? That's the kind of level that he's at. But what this gentleman does is that he takes all of the profits that he's making from plant power, the prop, profit distributions from plant power, and then reinvesting those in animal charities. Wow. So for him, plant power became an engine to further support his endeavor to, to see change in the world, which is very beautiful. That and is. other investors are like, 
I just hope I get my the annual ROI I need to make <laughs> yeah. my world work. So everyone, everyone's at a different place. That's it. And at the end of the day, and this all then circles back around to all of these people funding it, you guys putting in your heart and soul to doing it. One thing that I heard you say in another interview, which I think is absolutely brilliant, is that you know your stakeholders or some of your stakeholders are the animals and the environment as well. Yes. Um, and I think yes. that's such a important thing. And again, in a previous interview, um, one of my previous guests, Morella, she said to me, "Your business is your activism." Or you know, in these scenarios, business is your activism. Yeah. Um, and yeah. for you guys, you know, the animals and same for our business as well, the animals and the environment are our stakeholders. And I think yeah. with that in mind, that's where we need to keep those those things at the forefront of mind. And that is why making a profit and making a good profit is a good outcome here. And we should all be striving to basically do extremely well and be conscious capitalists and have successful businesses because yes we will along the way personally benefit from that but then it's up to you it's at your discretion what you do with the you know the proceeds you receive yes. whether you direct that into something like a charity like your investors doing but there is only one yeah. way that we can make genuine change and that is by getting rid of this mentality that an ethical or sustainable or vegan business is your local hippie veggie burger store all power to people doing that but there needs to be some of us who are going out and saying no we're going to be the ones who are taking on the fast food chains we're going to take on the global fashion brands uh, and i think that's yeah and that's huge to remember that we've got I, those stakeholders. I, I, well you know we live in a um you know people say we live in a capitalist country it's really a mix people don't realize so um you know some form of socialism is the reason that we have public highways and public mm. parks and fire people and you know policemen. So there's an aspect actually to socialism that creates a society in which capitalism can thrive. And you know my politics are a little bit left of center, progressive, yeah. and all of that. But right now I don't live in a, uh, a Bernie Sanders socialist paradise yet. <laughs> yeah. And and what I'm speaking to is how does this structure and this system work now? You know how mm. does it work? So given what we have at this moment. Um, Let's use the levers of capitalism and uh, move money to cruelty-free, environmental, sustainable endeavors and show capital that they can do better there than they can yeah. with endeavors that are harmful to our planet. That's just the way we got to go. Look, I, if I was a super rich billionaire guy, this would be an employee-owned company, actually. Why not, yeah. right? But uh, that's not the current condition we're in at this moment. We need our investors to be the owners with us yeah. and, and build this. So I think that's about, and, and the world's changing, right? We know that uh, cheese companies are investing in vegan cheese companies yeah. and, and broadening their portfolios. We know that meat companies are investing in analog meat companies. So as the world changes and consumer demand changes, then capital will chase that. And that's exactly what we want to have happen. We want it to be more expensive at some point to operate a slaughterhouse and sell meat and to have more risks and a lower upside mm. than being in the plant-based space. Um, and the more of us that can demonstrate that, um, the quicker these changes will unfold in the world. And it's really key right now. It is. So the That's way it, it has to go. And I'll, Yeah. Okay. So. Oh, by the way, I want to add one more thing. Of course. If I may. Am I interrupting you? No, you go ahead. Never interrupt you. Never interrupt the interviewer, man. It's bad karma. Um, <laughs> no, no, this is your show today. One thing I also, 
<laughs> no, baby, it's your show. I'm just hanging out. No, what I wanted to say is that uh, it's important for each one of us who are becoming entrepreneurs for the first time to look at our understanding of abundance as well. And, and I, I, I know I sound like an old man that tells the hardship stories, but <laughs> I used to live in a garage. Yeah. You know? And I used to work as in the kitchen of a vegetarian restaurant and make $150 a week. And I had a great life, actually. I loved it. Yeah. And I couldn't always put gas in the car or buy groceries. I mean, you know, I've been there and that's fine. I think it's also good for us to give ourselves permission to be successful so long as it's not exploitative or yeah. exploitive. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll Google that later. <laughs> so in other words, we are, you know, we don't start our corporate employees or our corporate team members at minimum wage anymore. They usually make, Amazing. they used to start at minimum and work their way up. And then they, we have a great, you know, tip things that happen. And there's a lot of cool things we do, free meals. But then we thought, well, wait a minute. You know, what if we paid our, our team members more, lowered turnover, maybe the net result would be the same or even more positive. Maybe there's a more humane way to do this because we're always crunched. We have to generate profits for our investor family to be happy and to keep growing. But what if we look at things in new and, and innovative ways? And we've found that as we take care, better care of our team, um, they're happier, turnover is less, everybody wins. So yeah. being successful and abundant is something we should allow ourselves to embrace as long as it's not through exploiting others. Completely agree. I think that's so important here. And there's so much opportunity to do that because there are so many people out there who are profiting yeah. and gaining and there is exploitation at every corner along the way. But there is so much yeah, opportunity to, to do it without that. And I, I mean, agree. Thank for you. Me, for me, that is why, you know, if I've got plant power on one side of the street and I've got, you know, McDonald's or Taco Bell or something on the other side of the street and both of you are selling vegan options, then... I'm always going to go to plant power because I know that, you know, I, I kind of get the feeling, even if we hadn't had this conversation, I didn't, you know, listen and do my research. I'd still have the, the assumption that you're going to be running a more ethical business over there because, you know, realistically, without getting sued, it's not hard to run a more ethical business than McDonald's. Um, right. But what do you and, think? And by the way, I, I, I don't, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, you go. You go. <laughs> You know, and it's interesting because I don't know, you know, like as mm. vegans, we kind of think as uh, McDonald's and all these giants as the evil empire. From my point of view, based on what they do to animals, that's true. Right. Yeah. But I also leave room for the fact that some of these large companies are doing their best to develop positive culture mm -hmm. as they understand it. So even though animals are left out of that equation, it's very possible that some of these larger companies are evolving their culture, trying to do a better job supporting their team. And, and so I want to acknowledge that. I can't really paint everybody with the same brush because I don't know. But what I do want to acknowledge is something that you just said, and that is if you had that choice to uh, choose plant power or Taco Bell or McDonald's, you, you go to plant power. And, um, you know, as people that are cognizant of animal rights, people like you and I, that's an easy choice. Yeah. But what we're also finding that most of our customers who are not vegans or vegetarians or necessarily concerned about the animal welfare dimension we find that they're also making that choice. And I think mm. that that's because there's something about our brand. Uh, I, what I think is our actual authenticity and our real mission is somehow bleeding through and people can feel it. 
I'm not saying we're perfect humans. I'm not saying we're free of ego or greed. But we, we did start this with a specific intention. And the impression I get from the public is that uh, the brand has a shine around it. People assume that yeah. we are a better company and we are trying harder. And, and so I think that's because, you know, we, we have got a restaurant right across from Jack in the Box. Yeah. And you can see it all day long. What's going on at Jack in the Box and Plant Power. And, you know, I hope that the franchisee there has a great life, but we're killing it. Yeah. We've got another restaurant right next, right next door to a McDonald's. And, you know, I'm looking at our lunch and dinner traffic, and I wouldn't be surprised if we're beating them. So wow. I think that people are interested in not only making new choices, but supporting brands that maybe resonate with them as having something aspirational. Would you say that moving forwards now, it would actually be part of your model or part of your decision to open near to something like a Jack in a Box or a McDonald's? Would you actually see that as beneficial because you've got those people ready to make that decision? Yeah. We have a restaurant opening uh, uh, very soon, sandwiched in between, uh, not directly, but pretty close between a Chick-fil-A and an In-N-Out burger. Wow. And we are so excited about that. Yeah. And our investors are a little nervous, like, dude, what are you doing? And we're like, uh-uh, this is who <laughs> we are. This is who we've always been. Um, let, let, let us at them. And by doing that, we hope that in the future that uh, potential franchisees who might be looking at an In-N-Out, which is probably not franchised, I'm not sure, or McDonald's or yeah. Chick-fil-A, they go, I think I better check out franchising plant power. So mm. we love going head to head with other companies. And we certainly don't wish their franchisees or their employees ill. We get it. Everybody's out there doing their thing. But we really feel that if we show people a better, healthier, more sustainable choice that people that many people will choose us. And by the way, yeah. even though most of our customers aren't vegan or vegetarian, and they would probably be embarrassed to admit that they care about the animals. Maybe <laughs> yeah. they're kind of macho and it's not cool. I think deep down inside, there's a lot of people, even macho guys, like us, Tony. Um, <laughs> so you're right. Yeah. Who, uh, who actually do care about the animals and don't really feel great about it. And we don't force them to come out and wear a meat is murder t-shirt. We're just yeah. letting them have a, a, a meal that is probably uh, guilt-free or more guilt-free. I think so. And I think actually you say, you know, you're sandwiching there next to, um, sandwiching in, great pun, um, next to the Chick-fil-A and to the In-N-Out. And I think if anything, In-N-Out is, and, you know, this is from my very low-key understanding of American fast food, um, but In-N-Out is probably <laughs> a great, I, I feel like a lot of people will walk up to the doors of an In-N-Out, look to their left or right and see a plant power. And that's that's really that on-the-fence market. They're the people who are, you know, going for something that's quality, probably valuing their ingredients, valuing, you know, their experience. They're, they're definitely people that I think you can grab and sway a few over to your side. And it's funny, I think In-N-Out, um, uh, although I, I wish they would uh, not sell animal products, but they're a very powerful brand. Yeah. I mean, In-N-Out fans are In-N-Out fans. And, yeah. and part of that is because the family that started In-N-Out have a very specific set of values and they are actually trying to operate their um, enterprise with a lot of integrity. I believe mm. that they're Christians. I've heard that they've got little Bible sayings on some of their uh, okay. product packaging, if you look closely. Yeah. And what I mean by that is 
Um, I think that the people behind that brand have an intention to yeah. bring something good to the world and to do a better job at it. And I think that's one of the reasons that that brand is so successful. Uh, and that's why I like going right up against them. You know? yeah. But I think that they've done something right, that's for sure. Oh, they know? have. Absolutely. So we're, we're getting yeah. close to the topic of, so let's jump in directly to the subject of Chick-fil-A, In-N-Out, McDonald's, all, all of the above now coming full force or with some force with plant-based products. How, how do you think that is impacting you currently going to impact you? I'm, I can't, I'm torn when I think about it just without looking at the numbers, whether that's a positive or a negative, but I feel like positive is actually the way. I think so too. And I will tell you that when we had our first business plan and we were working towards opening our first restaurant in 2016, we said to people, this is what's happening. Hmm. The world's going to change. One day in the far distant future, like in the year 2000, um, <laughs> that, was yeah. a, sorry, that was a Conan, Conan joke. But one day, major brands will add plant-based options other than salads to their menus. And again, people said, you guys are smoking vegan cracks. But having watched the trend for years, yeah. we had no doubt that this would occur. And due to the amazing work of Ethan Brown at Beyond Meat and his team and the excellent folks at Impossible Foods with the Impossible Burger. Yeah. They really started to break that ice. And at first it was Beyond Meat at Carl's Jr., Impossible at Burger King. But now it's exploding. Beyond Meat's doing phenomenal work with mm. uh, KFC and now McDonald's um, and you know Del Taco. I can go on and on. White Castle. Uh, Arby's is going, it'll never happen. We're all about the meat, which is probably brilliant marketing on their on their side. Yeah. But uh, the change that we've wanted to create, you know, Gandhi said, be the change that you want to see in the world, right? Yeah. And so we are, are happy. We ha well, we're scared sometimes as business people, but the truth is as, <coughs> as vegans, as animal rights advocates, this is a fantastic move for animals yeah. and for the planet and for everybody, you know, and it's it just good. One way to look at it is that they are creating the next generation of plant power customers. Yep. That's one way to look at it. That it's okay now to be a tough guy and have a veggie burger. Mm -hmm. um, so they're changing that paradigm somewhat. Um, the other way to look at it is that over time, as they increase their ratio of plant-based options on their menu, which would be a great thing for the planet, maybe it will impact um, aspiring young brands like ourselves. We don't really know yet. So we're left with no choice other than to uh, forge ahead with our hearts and offer mm. a 100% plant-based, 99% GMO-free GMO version of traditional fast food. And then hopefully yeah. also do, do things that help the world, you know? I think as well, what's, what's interesting with it is that let's take McDonald's and you can go and get a vegan burger at McDonald's now. And as you say, that will just that will create more people who when they go in there and I've got friends who do it here, they go into, um, into Burger King or hungry jacks as it's called here and they'll get the, the vegan Whopper and something like that. But once those people start being happy to buy the plant-based option, cause they actually realize it is great. Then it doesn't come down to a thing of where's the vegan burger available. It comes down to where's the best vegan burger available. And then you just come down to burger versus yeah. burger. And I've not, had the pleasure of having a plant power one yet so i i don't know but i'm gonna make an assumption that once you go burger to burger with the others then 
you guys are in with a very strong fight, if not superior already at this stage. So then you then that's the battle you're playing. Well, I'm the plant power guy, so I'm going to tell you that we're better than everybody. That's well, my official marketing line. <laughs> um, yeah, of course. And, and, and the, the truth is, in the plant-based space, we have some awesome competitors who are doing a great job. I mean, mm-hmm. I could. There's a lot of great similar brands to ours. You know, Monty's and Next Level Burger, and in the UK, there's Burger Co. And there's just a lot of great similar brands that we kind of consider to be our colleagues, yeah. our brothers in arms, brothers sisters in arms, right? And I haven't had the, uh, you know, the uh, the plant-based Whopper or the Beyond Burger yet because I'm kind of a I'm a paranoid vegan. I'm the, mm. I don't know what grill it's on. I'm well, not yeah. sure what the mayo deal is. They have vegan cheese. So that's just me, right? Mm. So I don't really know uh, how. Uh, I know that the patties uh, that Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods are coming up with are delicious, of course. Yeah. I mean, I, I've had both of them and they're great. And it's a great question. So, uh, And my friends tell me that our stuff's better. But again, I'm biased and they probably just want me to feel good. <laughs> well, hopefully once the the current situation of the world has passed over a little bit, I'll be able to come out and I will, um, I'll give it a try and I'm sure I'll be telling you the same. <laughs> we'll, and by the way, let, let us know, man, we're going to take care of you when you get out here. We, yeah. we look forward to that. Ah, so do I. So one thing I then want to get your view on, um, and you know, interestingly as well, because you've been vegetarian and vegan for so long and you've been in the space and you've looked at the markets is how you actually think this is transitioning over into clothing and fashion. So from my view, again, being vegan for 15 years myself, I've seen a lot of transitions and a lot of evolution in the space and it is primarily with food. And now I think we're getting a boom in food. Um, Hence guys like you having the success. I feel like in clothing and in fashion, with sustainability mixed in with the leaving out animal products, I feel like that's going to be coming in behind it. I feel like you guys are kicking the doors open and then clothing and fashion's coming through. So what is your view then if you've got with, with a brand like no skin, the company that I'm founding, when we have Adidas or new balance or Nike coming out with vegan shoes and vegan clothing, do you think that poses a risk to our business or do you think that's expanding the market appreciation for what we're doing? Uh, it's a beautiful question. So I think that the answer I always come back to is, first of all, thank you for doing that. And I, I do want to say that years ago when I went vegetarian, uh, I also stopped, stopped wearing leather products and belts yeah. and shoes even before I was a vegan per se. And uh, the way that I would uh, address that is going to uh, a shoe store whose name I won't mention because they had cheap plastic crap from China. Yeah. And that's what I wore for years. And now I've discovered like, you know, moose shoes and all sorts of great places and I, I get some cool, you know, vegan boots and belts and all that stuff. So thank yeah. you for doing what you're doing. Oh, of course. Um, yeah, I think the answer to your question is brand, 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 and brand. And so um, because your fashion products are 100% cruelty-free, that's, that's beautiful. Like people know that you stand for something. Hmm. So it's important to, for your customers to know who you are, that when they're buying from you, um, not only are they buying a great fashion product, but they are aligning themselves with your brand and your company. And yeah. so you really want to give them a reason to do that. You need to be able to tell your brand story. Um, maybe you're donating a portion of your proceeds to charities and telling mm-hmm. the world about that. Yeah. Uh, maybe you are using your social media format like you are here 
to tell these other large stories and bring people attention, but I think it's really all about the brand because ultimately that's that's what's happening out there. Like I'm a Starbucks fan, you know? Yep. I think they're a cool company. I've read Howard's book, but um, I know that they do treat their people well. I walk in there, I always have like good strong coffee and everybody's smiling at me and all right, man, I know that the monolith, but I love that brand. And there are brands out there where as a consumer, people have captured my imagination. Yeah. And I think that that's, what you, and by the way, it's definitely more fun to be the little guy yeah. gunning for the big guy. Yeah. It really is. That's know, true, that's actually. A, it's a nice, it really is. Yeah. yeah. No, and I think that's great advice. And, you know, even cross-referencing the Starbucks thing is I know, you know, I'm, I'm in the same camp. I actually think Starbucks, yes, they are the huge gargantuan and there's, you know, myriad of discussions you can have about that. But in my view is, they actually improved the market experience of going to get coffee. And now all of the small guys yeah. are able to do it because people have got a new passion for coffee that Starbucks have helped facilitate. So, you know, we can... I totally agree. We can lean on what the bigger companies are doing to lift up what we're doing and, you know, essentially get in the wake of yeah. the impact they're making. Right. And also, Tony, um, your story is compelling, right? And so finding ways to tell your story... And also, just like you're doing right now, uh, being identified as the company that also tells stories about yeah. others as well. That's very powerful. That's, yeah, what really we're, that's what we're hoping to do. And it's, and it's great. You know, there's so many good things about doing this and having these conversations, the personal guidance, you know, the ability to share other people's stories and lift the whole market. And that's, that's a big part of what we want to yeah. do. And we have expressly said and you know i speak to other owners of vegan fashion brands on this podcast and then we post that on our website um which some people yeah. are like that's strange you're posting your competitors and advertising them it's like these guys are not our competitors same as when you talk about the other yeah. you know the other vegan restaurants in california they're your colleagues they're you're all on the same mission and and by the way that takes a little bit of work right like yeah. we're all a little competitive uh, we all have a little bit of ego. I, I was on the phone the other day with uh, uh, a woman that is heading up uh, a brand very similar to ours on the East Coast. Mm. And they're self-financed and they're very abundant. And, you know, um, and we had just this beautiful hour-long conversation, right? Just a great brand. Yeah. And we both want to change the world. And we were comparing notes. And I think that um, the old win-lose paradigm that is kind of the nature of traditional capitalism kind of needs to go away. We need to support other people that are building good things in the world yeah. and not be too afraid. And I, I love the idea that, that you're supporting your competitors as well. I feel the same way. And mm. some of my competitors, I like them so much, I kind of want to invest in them, but I kind of got to invest them. <laughs> you got to draw a line somewhere. I like them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Um, well, look, we'll start working towards the the tail end, the, the last bit of the show now. Um, and a couple of those bits are really just some general advice on what's the future for plant power. So for my, sorry, for my benefit, what are, what are some general bits of advice you would give to any ethical business owner in their first year of operation? Mm. Great question. Stay focused. Um, improve the customer experience always. Always develop a connection and rapport with the customer, whether it's through social media face-to-face -face contact, same thing with everyone on your team, your team members, your investors. I think that when you're in the early stage, you have to hold the vision yeah. and communicate the vision. 
Um, and also uh, be a source of good energy and good vibes and, and love in the world, which will actually attract more success to you. So in the early stage, it's about a lot of faith. There's a lot of crazy emergencies and fires. I know that for us, <laughs> several times things happened in the early days that we thought, that's it. It's yeah. over. We're never going to survive this. You know, um, so I, I'm saying hard work, having faith and good vibes, man. The world needs good vibes. If you've got good vibes, everybody wants you to win. They want to be part of you winning. I love that. That's, and that's true. Oh, by I, the way, of course, that, that other little thing we call cash flow. Be careful, man. <laughs> yeah. Cash flow. Once you run out of money, nobody's going to give you any. So yeah. like really monitor that stuff. I wasn't on payroll with Plant Power for, for five years. Yeah. You know, I worked for free because I wanted to use that money and build build teams. So uh, ca- cash is king. It is, Keep yeah. some cash in the bank. That's it. The good vibes will take take you a long way, but then the yeah. cash flow is going to get you that last 20%. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. In other words, you can't really, like, you know, cash your flowers at the bank. You know, you're going to still have to have some money. That's know? true. Um, so one thing I wanted to know, a bit of a strange question maybe is what is the most impactful task on your to-do list right now so for example if you could only do one thing that's on your to-do list in the next four weeks what would you what would you attack what's that one thing you need to get done right now wow well at the moment i'm actually uh this is very, you know kind of proprietary but i'm working on uh a new price sheet for our new uh national distributor cool. so i'm um, you know working through some uh I'm working through some uh, spreadsheets and making sure that we're getting all the pricing right. And because we're moving from being self-distributed in Southern California mm. to working with a distributor partner to distribute throughout the U.S. When I say distribute, I'm not talking about selling our product at Whole Foods, but being able to open up restaurants throughout the U.S. Yes. And so right now, I'm deep in a spreadsheet uh, to make sure that we got our all of our costs correct. And if I make one small mistake, <laughs> uh, that could be a problem. Yeah. But the other big thing I'm doing right now, which is somewhat philosophical, but it's really what I'm working on, and it's going to take several weeks with my financial team and my CFO and others, we're taking a good look at what would it be like if we went from our current trajectory towards 100 units, which is a lot of work, right? We're at seven units today, we'll be at 15 or 16 units in 14 months, in two years, we'll easily be at 25. So we could see that. Uh, we're, we're signing leases, we're building a franchise network, it's happening. Hmm. Um, and now that that kind of plan is executing, what we're asking ourselves is, okay, now that we're ex- executing plan A, what would it look like if we doubled or tripled or quadrupled that plan? Yeah. How would we do a cash flow analysis? Where would that additional new investment come from? So those are the things that we're looking at right now, which requires a tremendous amount of analysis and planning. But what we're saying is, you know, the market is now recognizing what we're bringing and some of the larger capital sources that really wouldn't call us back a year ago or two years ago are now interested in us. And so one mm-hmm. of the things that we have to do is kind of format and structure our company to be able to work with larger and larger capital sources and to be able to execute on a higher and higher level. I guess that's a good problem to have. Yeah. <clears throat> but can't we just go back to the small plan? So there's, a, you know, really... We're stretching and growing right now as we speak, um, and it requires a lot of modeling and analysis and asking ourselves big questions too. Um, it's an, that is I don't know if that was a time. fuzzy answer. 
Well, no, I think the, yeah. the reason I brought in that question and it's the first time I've asked it is because I think, you know, especially for somebody in your position, you're going through some really you know big changes exactly as you've just outlined. There's some really big tasks to be done and yeah. we can all get caught up very much in the noise of the, the little bits and pieces. But if we actually strip it down to what's going to be what's going to make the impact and what you really need to get done, then it's interesting to hear what what those big next steps actually look like. The, you know, the stuff that needs to be focused on. And, and, and I'll, I'll... I'm sorry for interrupting you, Tony. And I struggle with this, right? Hmm. Because um, I'm, you know, some, some of my day is work is working on very big picture. As yeah. I said, I have the spreadsheet that must be done for our new distribution partner. And there's probably another five or ten people that have called me in the last few, next last few hours, and whatever they're calling about may or may not really be a high priority for me. Yeah. But there are humans in the world that need me to respond. So, actually, personally, I've always struggled with yeah. prioritizing and I've made up for that by not sleeping, <laughs> <Just> keep going. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's something that it's actually something that I have to be better at as well. And I start every day with a to-do list Yeah. and I have a little HP, which means high priority or stuff that must happen today. And other things are lower priority. Um, but I think I'm getting philosophical now. I mm. think there's this balancing point of taking care of your business because your business won't run if you don't. There's yeah. a, a lot of, you know, got to pay your taxes. Someone needs to do payroll. Uh, you know, accounts payable needs to get this invoice. There's a thousand little things that must happen. Yeah. Otherwise, the train will go off the track very quickly. But also, it's, it's very important to set aside time for visioning the mm -hmm. bigger picture and not forget to do that, which could be journaling or playing on spreadsheets or taking a day off at the beach. But what is that next step and what does it feel like and what do you want to accomplish next? So sometimes I'll, I'll liken it to when I used to record and produce music in my studio. Hmm. The art of writing that piece of music was very creative, and very kind of groovy. And I would usually sit down with a keyboard or a guitar and work on composition when I'm not in that recording process. And then when I'll be in the recording process, it's very technical and I have multiple tracks and I'm not a genius and there's yeah. you know, MIDI and audio. And so part of what has to be done when I used to produce music was very right brain, creative and visionary. But then when I was actually producing, it was very kind of, there was a lot of left brain engineering technical stuff. And I think that um, entrepreneurs are similarly called to take care of every little thing that has to happen and somehow advocate the time to be visionary as well yeah and refresh oneself so i i'm, I I'm challenged it. by it not i'm not a good guy to give advice man <laughs> oh well no you've just even even that i and coming you know as i've mentioned on the show before coming from a music background myself i i like the the way i'm picturing that is you've effectively got to you've got to write the song before you can execute and record the song and it's that's the thing you've yeah. got to You've got to give yourself yeah. the creative process for the vision. And that's the bit that, you know, as an entrepreneur, we can really love that part is, you know, writing the vision, um, but also can get a lot of enjoyment out of the recording process and, you know, the technical analysis as well. Right. Yeah. And you're basically um, executing on yesterday's vision. Yeah. And um, you'll be executing on today's vision in the future, Yeah. you know, basically. And then when you get to go and hang out in the restaurant, that's the live show. <laughs> So. You know, and 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 it's, and it's still very well said, and it's still a thrill, man. Yeah. Every time I walk into one of our restaurants, I still look around and go, "Is this happening?" Oh, I can imagine. And uh, yeah. my partner Zach and I, whenever 
yeah, whenever we open a new restaurant, we like to go out in the parking lot and just take, have that macro moment where, where we go, wow, number three or yeah. number five or number seven. And uh, we like to have that moment. And then my other partner, Mitch, is like, like whatever, guys. We're still 900 units short. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, there's always going. one, hey? <laughs> yeah. No, that's... Um, oh, it's so good. So tell us then about what the next the next 12 months look like for you. You know, you've told us a bit about that. It's expansion. It's the growth. So maybe even what the next 24 months looks like. What is what is that vision? By the time I get out there, what am I, what am I going to encounter with Plant Power? Well, I think that if you come to one of our restaurants, uh, you might not see much that's different from what it is today other than there are some cool new menu surprises Mm -hmm. that i can't talk about because if i told you i'd have to kill you and everyone (laughs) who watches your podcast so that's that's (laughs) messy and expensive so um there there is some nice uh some nice evolutions that uh zach and his team are working on for the menu that i'm excited about great um so that's great and then in terms of ourselves um we're kind of busting out of southern california you know like we were limited by how we distributed our product. We'll be opening up in um, Las Vegas. Um, we'll be opening up in Northern California. I don't think we announced it yet, so I won't tell you where, but that's yeah. coming up real fast. Nice. Uh, it looks like we've got some very strong franchise development partners in Arizona, Texas, and maybe Colorado. So we're really starting to spread our wings. We're just getting to that phase that we always envisioned where the rate of growth accelerates. Mm-hmm. And to prepare for that over this last six months, we've built up our team. We've got like industry professionals from Chipotle, Yum Brands, Hard Rock Cafe. Wow. Um, we've really had to kind of build up not only our core of experienced experts, but also uh, headcount and bandwidth so that we can actually support this growth. So it's an exciting time for us right now. We're really thrilled. And as one of my advisors always says to me, how many cows are we going to save today? And what I mean by that is as we do grow, um, it's not hard to get a little ego about it and say, hey, aren't we cool? But, you know, the good news is 75 or 80 percent of our customers are omnivores. And when they choose to go to plant power yeah. or any one of our awesome competitors, um, we're taking animals off the plate. And that's exciting. And we've done some crazy calculations to begin to understand how many animals we are taking off the plate if 75 or 80 percent of our customers are omnivores. And and that's pretty exciting, too. Now, I know they don't ring a little bell at the slaughterhouse and go, oh, we just got our <laughs> download from Power. You can go run, run free. Yeah. But, you know, what we're, doing, what we're doing to animals and to the planet is so incredibly horrific that I always like to remember as we're having our success as entrepreneurs and, dare I say, visionaries, that's at least true for my partners, <laughs> yeah. that hopefully it's going to have a positive impact on animals and also on human beings who might start to ask themselves important questions about the food choices and might start to awaken in, in some new and exciting ways. I, I think it's awesome. I, and I love you summarizing things with that. And I have to say for people listening and for whoever gets across this and for whoever listens to you in any platform in any place, I think one of the most important things is having people like yourself speaking about it in the way that you do um, to to show people that you know the the minds and between you and Zach and Mitch having these amazing businesses, these amazing ventures, but doing it with the underlying you know the underlying vision of saving animals as well. It's that's the difference. We're breaking the mold of oh, it's you know the crazy hippie vegans. Yeah. With 
it's yeah, it's inspiring, man, and it's been a pleasure to talk to you about it. You know what? Thank you, Tony. Thank you so much. And my my partners are even better at that than me. They're hmm. they're so inspired. You know, they're yeah. just all, you know they really are beautiful, strong, talented, amazing guys that want to change the world. And we talk about it like in yeah. between like the thousand things that have to happen <laughs> this week. We really do talk about it. Yeah. And 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 thank you for saying that. And the why is important for every entrepreneur. Not every entrepreneur with a dream might not be here to save the animals, but maybe they're doing something to feed their family. Yeah. Or maybe they're doing something to offer better food in a low income neighborhood. But if you find your why and you find your intention, um, I think that things will align more easily than if you're not clear about what your intention is. That's true for all of us in everything that we do. I think so, 100%. And it's it's great to be doing something, um, you know, and having quit, quit my job. I finish in three weeks um, to go into this full time. It's great to be doing something that oh, is now... Wow. Yeah, it's um, it's good to be doing something that is for for my for the why. You know, I'm doing something because that's what drives me forward. So, and I'm gonna carry on with my day now, um, which is I'm supposed to be at work. I'm 20 minutes late, uh, <laughs> but that's the beauty of working from home. But I'm gonna be taking on the day now, absolutely inspired to get more done because you know it's where you guys have taken plant power. That's where I hope we get to take no skin in the next three to five years. Um, and it's, yeah, it's been amazing to get the insight, get the story and share your message as well. Thank you so much. Uh, two things. First of all, let us know how we can help. And I mean that sincerely. Thank you. I'm not joking. And secondly, man, uh, do you guys have like, you know, cool, not real leather belts or shoes for guys? We do. That's one of the main things we've got. I want to buy some of your stuff as soon as I can, my friend. I, I really do. Tony, I want to thank you for the opportunity to, to share my own journey. Uh, and uh, it's really been a pleasure, brother. Thank you for everything.